This is Increment Vice. The podcast that explores Paul Thomas Anderson's inherent vice, one scene at a time, with your host, Travis Woods. It was a reverse floor plan, with bedrooms on the entrance level, and then upstairs the kitchen, maybe more than one, in various entertainment areas. The house should have been full of law enforcement. Instead, the boys from Protect and Serve had set up a command post at the pool cabana, somewhere out in the back. Like getting in some last-minute free catering before their federal overlords showed up. Sounds of distant splashing, rock and roll radio, eating between meals, some kidnapping. In the time it took Sloane to lead him through a dim, sunken interior full of taupe carpeting, suede upholstery, and teak, which seemed to extend indefinitely in the direction of Pasadena, Doc learned that she had a degree from the London School of Economics, had recently begun studying tantric yoga, and had met Mickey Wolfman originally in Las Vegas. There's a reason why our buddy Thomas Pynchon describes the house of Wolfman as a descent into hell. For Doc, it kind of is. Having just met a salt-of-the-earth gal like Hope, heroin and heaving and hard-ons aside, who, with a quiet and modest dignity, refuses to accept the death of her husband, despite no support from the cops or the banks. It must be a shock to the system for our knockabout dick to find a woman outright celebrating the non-death of her missing husband, with the cops and the banks and everyone else on the wrong side of karma in 1970. And that's this scene in a nut, isn't it? It's a dichotomous portrait of lives on either side of the golden fang. The good lives the fangs chew to pieces, and the gaudy lives those fangs feed. There's this hermetically sealed social world. And you have this phase where the detective is trying different angles of pinging the outside, trying to get in. The only visual representation I can think of is that it's the sperm trying to get into the egg. He's not gathering clues or doing anything clever with a magnifying glass. It's just going around annoying people until one of them says something that leads him to the next person he can annoy. There's really no plan. That's writer-director Ryan Johnson discussing the knockabout nature of the private eye in cinema and in fiction as it relates to the behavior of the high school detective in his just-fucking-flabbergastingly-good Maltese Falcon meets Mean Girls neo-noir Brick. Though it also serves as quite an apt description of our wayward hero Doc Sportello in today's sequence of Inherent Vice, in which Doc takes a break from listening to the Didion-esque tales of love and loss and lost love and love lost from Shasta Fay and Tariq Khalil and Bigfoot and Hope Harlingen, and finally gets down to do some actual sleuthing. And joining us today on Doc's journey into the lifestyles of the rich and decadent is a member of the LA Film Critics Association, the Critics' Choice Association, the Online Film Critics Society, and the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. I don't know how you do all this, because <laughs> I can barely maintain a Ralph's card and a library card at the same time, with bylines and variety and fresh fiction TV. Someone who truly knows film, especially this one, Courtney Howard. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for coming on today. I'm so, so thrilled. Oh, God. Well, yeah, because well, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? Look at what we're doing. I'm honored to be here. Look L at us. I'm totally. Look at us. Look at us. 
That was that Paul, the, the Paul the Red. Paul Red Look at this. Do you ever think we'd get here? Look at this. Me and you. I never thought stepping into the Egyptian theater when this movie premiered at AFI Fest that my journey would end up here. You see what she did there? How she <laughs> mentioned that she went to the premiere at the AFI Fest, which that. I wasn't invited to. But <laughs> see how she did that? And you also came in today um, because you really, really wanted to twist the knife so the wound wouldn't close. <laughs> you came in today with the gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous press booklet from that premiere screening. Absolutely gorgeous. And I'm staring at it. I can't even make eye contact with you because I just <laughs> keep staring at the table we're sitting at and looking at how gorgeous it is with that beautiful neon font. I just brought my little my, my pinch-on book. I still love the pinch-on book, though. Yeah, I, I, I'll trade you. <laughs> I have the paperback at home. But uh, this one is signed <laughs> by every guest on Increment Vice, Get some out. of which some of oh. which haven't even been on air yet, some of whom Ooh. are now Academy Award nominees. Interesting. I'll trade you. Ooh, I'll have to look through that later. Okay. God. I wish I had grabbed, I was telling you earlier, but I wish I grabbed more of these uh, booklets because they just had a huge table of them and I just didn't think ahead. Of like, hey, maybe these are going to be worth something someday, you're, you're, and then here we are. Your doper's ESP didn't kick in. You no. didn't think, hey, you know what? Let me I might more. be on a niche podcast <laughs> six years from now, and the host might passively, aggressively push me into giving him my copy of the, the my one copy of this very rare press booklet from this incredible film. Well, you know. Live and what, learn. I guess. I mean, whatever. I guess I should probably do the show now. Whatever. <laughs> so upset. Let's go back. Let's go back. Yes. You were there Let's. at the premiere. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite things to talk to about uh, this film with people, even those who love it, is I find that not only am I in the minority and that I love Inherent Vice, and I just don't think there's a lot of people who really ardently love it, but I think I'm also a bit in the minority, as are some of my guests, in that I didn't just, I don't just love this film. I walked out of the theater the first time I saw it in love with this mm -hmm, film mm -hmm. and went back like two days later because I had to see it again. And then I went back two days after that and I had to keep going back because not because I didn't get it, mm -hmm, not because mm -hmm. I needed to put the pieces together. I just couldn't stop living in that world. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really felt like that about a movie up until recently with Once Upon a Time mm -hmm. in Hollywood. I'm curious. I ask everyone this. You're walking out of the Egyptian theater, mm -hmm. the gorgeous gorgeous Egyptian theater here in Los Angeles. This film is buzzing and ringing in your head. Is it a good buzzing and a ringing? Is it a confused buzzing? Did right. you hate it? How, right. did, how did it treat you the first time? So the first time uh, when I saw it, I was actually a plus one at the event. Um, I wasn't in with Warner Brothers at that time. So I went with a friend of mine who had an extra ticket, and we sat sort of in the middle, right in the middle middle, and it played on film, of course. It was gorgeous. Uh, and I walked out of there thinking, like, my first initial reaction, and it's sort of captured, I actually brought my review, even though the website is not not up anymore, uh, but uh, it's now a defunct website. But um, I walked out of there thinking, I think I just witnessed the birth of a cult classic. Mm -hmm. And I was confused because, like you had said earlier, like, you can't think of this movie as this is going to be 100% coherent. It's it's sort of it's talks about so many things and I was thinking like okay not everything connects but that's okay that it, not everything connects like we're witnessing the story through somebody with 
not the clearest of heads. <laughs> um, so I liked it, but I wasn't in love with it. And then it was like a B, but I knew that I would come back to this years and like for years to come. I knew I'd watch it like every few years and sort of take more away from it. So, and I have done that. I haven't done it a lot, like as much as, say, Heat or something like that. But uh, I have come back to it every now and then. It, and it hits me in different ways each time that I think all movies do, but especially this film. And I love all the characters in it. This cast is, like, stacked with such tremendous actors. I didn't realize until maybe, like, two years ago that Hong Chow was in this. Hong Chow steals every scene she's in. This was her Honestly. first film. I believe this was, yeah, this was her first film. And I think one of the questions that so many people had staggering out of this film, in addition to what the fuck just did mm-hmm. I see, mm-hmm. was, who was that? Who was mm-hmm. Jade? Who mm-hmm. was that? Mm-hmm. And you got to have something to be able to walk into a film, your first film, and steal scenes from Joaquin Phoenix mm-hmm. at the height of his powers. Mm-hmm. Not, I say the height, like they've somehow diminished in some way. <laughs> right, they right, haven't. they have not. <laughs> but to be able to go toe-to-toe with someone who is probably the most, if not at least one of, if not the most talented actor of his generation— to be able to hold your own mm-hmm. and to steal laughs from him and mm-hmm. to steal the scene from him and to steal the electricity and the air out of the room from him. Hong Chao, man. She's tremendous in this movie. And I, I think it showcases there are no small parts in this movie. It just feels like everybody has their moment. And I love this just cast of characters that Doc knows. Like, I've been in L.A. for 22 years, and I don't know as many people as he comes into contact within the span of, like, what is this, two hours? Like, a little over two hours, so, like, a little more than two hours, maybe? And I remember thinking, it's too— a hard, It's a hard 2.30. 2.30. Like, I remember thinking, like, oh, that movie was kind of long. But now, by today's standards, I'm like, that movie is too short. <laughs> I need a four-hour cut of that movie. I watched oh, four hours of that. I think you and me are the only two. <laughs> but they're so— there are so there are so many unreleased deleted scenes. You can catch Ugh. clips of them when you're watching like a trailer, a TV spot. I'm like, well, where's that scene? I know, yeah. Oh, they filmed that. Scene? I went back and Why watched the trailer, and it. I was There's like, so I don't remember that. that I don't remember used. that. Where is that? So many alternate takes. There's a little five minute montage put together by PTA mm. on the Blu-ray called "Everything in the Stream," which mm-hmm. is a, which is a quote from the book, and. It's a little montage of stuff that they cut. It's there's not a single full additional scene. It's just clips of the deleted scenes, mm. and it breaks. My, it's beautiful and it's haunting. It's really kind of fascinating and Manson, Manson obsessed a little bit mm-hmm. and just oh god, so good. And yet, that's it. That's that's all there is. Somewhere in PTA's garage, they're just canisters of film stock. I'm sure of all these cut scenes and oh, oh you know. PTA, invite us to your house. You know, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I—I I mean, the risk there is I would, I would pull a heist. <laughs> and if my man, if my producer Blake is listening right now, host of uh, former host of One Heat Minute, I he he and I would be, be supervising a heist, and uh-huh. we would steal those canisters, <laughs> and they would be ours. Uh huh. Um, oh, I should go back a little bit more. Like a couple days before, actually, it was like maybe two weeks before I was going to see the movie. Sometimes I like to read the book mm-hmm. before I see the movie. Oh, you try to crack it. The... I tried to crack the book, uh-huh. and um, I got about three pages in, and I was like, "Wow, this is not." <laughs> 
I don't think I can. I'm just going to let the movie speak to me. And I talked to hmm. another reporter who had gotten through the whole book, mm-hmm. and I said, do you advise? Do you think I should read this book before I see the movie? And he said, I don't think this book is for everyone. <laughs> and so I let that oh intimidate me. The understatement of the uh, I, I of let the it decade. intimidate me, but should I go back and read the book it's, or— I, well, I mean, you're asking I mean, the wrong person because terms I'm, of like the I'm, way he phrases his prose is what is huge. But you're asking the wrong person because I'm going to recommend anything <laughs> inherent vice related. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was an inherent vice brand of PCP, I would recommend it. Do I, it. I would say, hey, hey, why not have a long weekend? <laughs> PCP's going to open the door and kick you through it, as Park Peverton would say. Why not? W- sure. Come on. What do we have to lose? <laughs> it's going to be a hard year anyway. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um. I enjoy the book a great deal. I like the book a great deal. I don't. Mm, there are some clarifications in the book. There are some things that are made a little bit more clear, including mm-hmm. something in this scene that we're going to talk about okay. later. There are a few bits, a great deal of what is more overtly explicated in the book has to do with the nature of Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more Bigfoot in the nature of Bigfoot's tragedy of what he lost and what's driving him and why. And it's made mm. it's made far more explicitly clear the first time you read the book, and I think this is something that takes you multiple viewings of the film to catch on. The book Bigfoot is quietly pulling a lot of strings to arrange Doc in a, in the place that he ends up so that he can kind of outsource Doc to perform this act of vengeance for him mm-hmm. on, the, on behalf of his dead partner, partner both in the LAPD and given the wanton way he fillets bananas we're going to assume his <laughs> partner in life that his wife doesn't know about there's a lot there's a lot more of that there's a lot of freewheeling jokes doc discovers the early version of the internet called mm. arpanet mm. and his first question is does can it find Shasta Fay his second question is does it know where i can score <laughs> there's a lot of that and uh, a little bit in keeping with uh, some of the people we're going to talk about today there's a nice little uh, digression where he goes to las vegas to find Mickey Wolfman with the mm. FBI on the strip and ends up crashing Puck Beaverton's wedding to Puck's former cellmate. Mm. Uh, lots of fun stuff. The main difference, though, and this is something that people who've listened to the show, oh, my God, they're going to be so sick of this because I always talk about it. <laughs> the main difference is Inherent Vice, the novel, is written by a man close to the end of his life looking back in anger and hurt mm. at the betrayal of the dream Mm -hmm. and the betrayal of the decade and where things ended up. And the book uses the death of a relationship as a metaphor for that. PTA, for for all his kind of wry, smirking romanticism, he inverts that. And the film is the story of a relationship and the death of a relationship and how you can't let that go Mm -hmm. and how all these people can't let go what they've lost and uses the death of the 60s as a metaphor to, to bring that to bear. And so... One is more focused on a decade and the damage done and the loss caused by it. The film is more, I think, a little bit more grand, a little bit more broad, a little bit more emotional. It's just about how the things we can't let go. And gotcha. I, always, I always talk about how Magnolia, the question is, what can we forgive? Mm-hmm. Those who we love but have hurt us, what can we forgive? Uh, the film, I think, asks, when you love someone, what can you live without? How can you really live without someone if you love them? Mm-hmm. And what will you do to try to find them, try to bring them back? So that's a very inherent vice-esque, long-winded, <laughs> rambling, Travis-esque answer. I think the book is good. I think it's great. I think it's worthwhile. I do not think it is a necessity if you love the film. Okay. All but right. it does it does undergird a lot, and it does answer a lot. And there's a lot of – I find the book to be a lot f- – I think the book's a lot funnier 
uh, bitterly so. Mm. But I think the book is a, is a lot funnier, whereas I think the film is is suffused with a, a deeper melancholy because of mm-hmm. that, that breakup energy and that sadness right. behind that. Right. Okay. Well, I feel completely intimidated. You're just going to get superficial readings from this scene. Oh. That we're going to talk about today. Well, that's for fine. Me. You better leave. You better leave. And I'll just talk to the audience directly. I did directly. Dig, dig a little bit deeper into things that they talk about in the scene. So I brought some little bit of back, like historical backstory with yeah, me. Yeah. Let's get pretentious with this. Let's get weird with it's this, fun. right? It's yeah. fun. It's fun. It's good anecdotes. That's what I love. Oh, well, hell. All right. So you're one of the people that loved the movie. You mm-hmm. liked it from the get-go. Mm-hmm. It was a B. You gave it a B. I gave it a B. It's is it, is it since still risen. a B? No, it's okay. since risen. Where are it's we at? Like, we're at solid A right now. Oh, we're okay. at solid A. I was getting ready to kick you out, so I'm glad that... Okay, and it's good. changed, too, because when I went back and reread my review, I think I liked The Master more at the time, but now my order has changed. So this is top of the list PTA for me. This is like under... I mean, Boogie Nights is like a perfect film. Sure. Perfect. And then this is right under that. I mean, Inherent Vice is more perfect, but whatever. Oh, okay, sure. okay, okay, uh, okay. No, 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 I get you. And, <laughs> you know, actually, I find this to be a really good companion film, Inherent Vice, with The Master. I mm-hmm. think that they are companions because both films are about being in love with the person that's not right for you. Mm. PTA has said explicitly that Doc and, Doc and Shasta's relationship, he... You have to imagine it that great PTA Valley draw. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard him in so many interviews say, "Isn't it just kind of like you know you got this old lady, <laughs> and she you know she's bad for you, but you can't help thinking who's she with, where's she at, who's she fucking, is she thinking of me? <laughs> oh man, and just yeah, and that isn't that whoa, isn't whoa, that whoa. Freddie Quell and the Master? How did PTA get in this studio? Yeah, oh yeah, that was how did he get here? <laughs> She's trying to charm me because I'm so angry and still staring at this press book. But yeah, if, You're welcome to pawn through it. I know no, it won't no, represent. I don't well even want to touch it because I'm not going to let it go. Podcast. I'm not going to let it go. If you, if you put it in my hands, I'm just going to I'm just going to slowly back away like I'm holding a baby. That said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the master and the inherent vice I actually find they speak to each other very well. I think they're a great double feature, not only because they are so obscurantist, if that's a word, and so okay. strange mm-hmm, and obscure. Mm-hmm. And obfuscated, but again, I think both films are like Freddie Quell and the and Master. I think Doc and Shasta are two people who shouldn't be together, but they so badly recognize in one another something that they need and that they want and they mm-hmm. can't let go of. Mm-hmm. And that's probably one of the main reasons I keep coming back to this film. Is I think that that is so rich and so haunting and so gorgeous and so real. And that's yeah. Oh, boy. I'm going to get emotional. That's oh. fine. You can oh. get emotional around me. It's okay. Fan my face. Fan it's okay. my face for me. You're not crying. It's just raining <laughs> on your face. <laughs> that said. I like the movie just for just how goofy mm-hmm. and, uh, Joaquin mixes it up in this movie. Uh, I love all of his physical comedy. He's like a little monkey. That's it, what PTA said. He's like a little monkey, a ragdoll. So you can toss him around. Yeah. He'll do anything. Yeah. He's, he's just so great. And I love having... This is sort of a testament to the things he can do comedically that's nuanced and just you see different facets from him that you don't might not necessarily see anymore from the different films that he's done since. And it's so different than his other PTA work. So, yeah, I mean, as much as I love and I do love it, 
you were never really here. Mm-hmm. Not exactly a laugh riot. No. And <laughs> there's not a lot of there's a lot of physicality, but not <laughs> physical comedy. And what's interesting is I, I I do believe that he is one of our most oh. fearless fearless absolutely perform, performers in that. And I'm sure people are cynical. People are like, yeah, he's a, he's a millionaire. He's being paid to do this. Sure. But to go on screen and just expose himself in the way that he does. Mm-hmm. But I, one of the things that we don't really think of him as is an extraordinarily gifted comic actor. Mm-hmm. And I've I've always found him funny from his uh, if this is a film that God who I don't know if anyone's going to remember this U Turn in '97 directed mm-hmm. by Oliver Stone where he played an angry jealous hick. Um, who was convinced that everyone was making time, as he put it, with his girlfriend, Claire Danes. He's a funny, hilarious guy. And what he does in this film, and I don't think he gets a lot of credit for it, and it's 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 easy to miss, aside from the big trailer moments, like when he screams at the picture of mm-hmm, Sword of mm-hmm. Liege, it's an incredibly reactive performance. Everyone else in the movie is being funny. Yeah. He's just reacting you know i was talking to my last guest Lindsay romaine uh, about the episode in which doc meets hope harlingen and she's telling him that she believes her husband coy is mm-hmm. really alive and he's mm-hmm. she's telling him all these things like you know uh vomiting between the legs of coy when they first meet and to complicate things he had this heart on and the way joaquin just kind of nods mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. sure yeah sure <laughs> and his this guy who's a drug using hippie himself how his horror mounts to the point when she finally says, I'm a drug counselor. Mm-hmm. Excuse me? I'm sorry? <laughs> how to use drugs uh, and, responsibly. And, and he's just like, he, <laughs> he's so terrified at this woman, what she's doing to people's lives at first. And it's such a beautiful, funny, hilarious, reactive performance, which mm-hmm. I think would be extraordinarily difficult to do. To not be, no pun intended, inherently funny. Mm-hmm. To not be the one that's making the jokes. Although he's got some good ones in there. Mm-hmm. To just be the guy that has to sit there. And in between Pratt Falls and confusion, listen to everybody else be funny and clever. And most importantly, I think one of the hardest things, I think maybe the hardest thing any actor can do aside from deliver exposition, and there's a lot of that in this mm-hmm. movie, is listen to exposition and make the listening interesting. Mm-hmm. And he actually makes sitting there getting a download, which we're, which we're going to see in this sequence, mm-hmm. he makes that watchable like you can't you can't not look at him mm-hmm. when he's just listening to someone go on about their real estate deals or their missing neighborhood or the booby house snatch that, right. that's going to happen to to uh, her lover yeah incredible performance incredible right. without being mm-hmm. the big showy mm-hmm. joker performance it's, it's like a straight man performance versus like the not the comedian but like a, the straight man in that sort of like duo and yet somehow plays a straight man as not straight yes he's he's stoned out of his gourd and just as funny as everybody else yeah but in almost any scene he's our go-to for normalcy yes somehow (laughs) and And how does that happen the crazy nature the crazy quilt nature of this film and its characters is in almost any given scene doc's the reliable guy Mm -hmm. doc's the straight shooter because everyone else is so fucking insane or mm-hmm. so fucking stoned or so fucking evil mm-hmm. that somehow this character, who I won't call an unreliable narrator. Right. I was but thinking about this earlier. Yes. His narrator, who may or may not exist, is at least unreliable. But this is the guy we have to rely on. And I think it's also of, of note that he's this is one of those films in which the main character is in every single scene. Mm-hmm. He, he is our only tether, mm-hmm. which is, I think, another reason why this film is hard for some people is. 
we see everything as Doc sees it, just mm-hmm. as confused, jumbled, and mishmashed. And he's our only vantage in the film for the entire two and a half hour runtime. And so if you don't like looking at the world through Doc's eyes, you're probably not going to like this movie. And right. I think that's what a lot of people have, have issue with. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, today's scene. Mm-hmm. This is a fun scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to talk to you about it because of its own, it's its own very unique jittery energy that I think is a little different from anything else in the movie. Um, there's a nervy kind of chaos to it. Mm-hmm. And it's as if it's cohesion, kind of like Doc's wig is getting ready to slip at any given moment. The mm-hmm. energy is just, it's, it's a little off. It's a little weird compared to everything else that's weird in this movie. But I also think that it is a really tough scene for people. Um, I think it's a scene that, this is the scene where the film really starts to risk losing viewers. There's two scenes like that mm-hmm. in this movie for, that I've noticed because I've show, I've made so many people watch this goddamn movie. And you know that thing where you you a movie vibes with you a little bit differently when you're watching with others because you're sensing how they're feeling. Mm, right. Like they whip out their fucking phone. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you just feel a, the energy coming off the That's a big the pet peeve of mine, even if well, we're watching sure. movies at home. You put the phone on the bar and leave it there. We're going to watch a movie, <laughs> which makes you realize how, how fun I must, must be to watch a movie with. <laughs> You're but, fun at parties. Oh, I, at parties, I'm great. When we're watching movies, I'm, I'm a little no, rough. No, I, I completely understand. I, I'm right there with you. I'm a real Puck Beaverton when it comes to watching a movie. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do it my way. Uh-huh. But I think there are two scenes in this film that most risk losing the audience as far as my experience is showing it to other people. Okay. These are the beats where I see people just be like, no, mm, I'm, I'm interesting. done. And that is... Uh, it's this scene, hmm. uh, and it had this scene and its companion scene literally exactly to the minute one hour later in the film mm-hmm. at the Criscilodon Institute. Mm. And in both scenes, Doc is wearing a disguise. He is scouring for information. There is an avalanche of hints that Sordiliege is mm-hmm. not real. Mm-hmm. And Doc is trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with Mickey Wolfman and right. where is Shasta Faye. Right. That happens in this scene and the Criscilodone scene. And I think as I sussed out when talking to official non-fan okay. Fran Hoffner in episode four, the Criscilodone scene lost her because, okay, Doc's found Mickey, but oh my God, check watch. There's another hour of this movie to go. Mm. And for her, she was like, well, this is the plot. The plot's over. I got I to gotta stick around for an hour of cleanup. I can't do it. Hmm. And she tapped out. But in, in my showing of this film to other people, I have few, I've felt a lot of people tap out mentally at this scene. It's almost as if hmm. after all this stuff with this Shasta. This is where it gets going. That's right. But <laughs> I think after the introductory scene with Shasta, that very rock and roll big sleep mm-hmm. intro of, mm-hmm. you know, I need your help, Doc. And... Then we move to the weirdness with Bigfoot and Channel View Estates mm-hmm. and Tariq Khalil and Banana Blowjobs and mm-hmm. Hope Harlingen. I think that the audience is almost ready for a break at mm. this point, a plotless stretch of just let's just see some pratfalls or maybe a gunfight or some beach stuff. This is a beach noir, right? Like mm-hmm. where's just the cutter's way hanging, hanging around talking about how life sucks. I feel like it's almost too many too many plot drops, too many strange names, too much erotic neckwear, <laughs> uh, and Bigfoot weird- weirdness. And if you don't feel like getting weird, if this kind of sidelong noir strangeness isn't your thing, I think you just kind of 
you sneak out like Doc, like Doc tiptoeing mm-hmm. to Mickey's bathroom yeah. or his his bedroom. His bedroom. And yeah, and, and I, th- I think it's interesting that those are the two scenes and how that, that seem to really push people away when they watch this movie and how uniquely uh, how they, they bookend each other mm-hmm. and they reflect each other so mm-hmm. much because they're all about Wolfman and they're about Criscai Ladone and about Doc and Doc in disguise. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know if you've shown this to a lot of people, but that's these two scenes are where I always lose people. It's either this mm-hmm. or Criscai Ladone. That's interesting. I've only shown it to my husband, but he checked out more at the midway point. I don't Son e- of a bitch. I know. How am I still married to him? I don't know. Look, uh, me we, and you, we're going to talk after we, the show. We're going to have a talk. <laughs> we differ on a lot of movies. Uh, uh, he He's not quite uh, a fan of as weird movies as I am, so I think maybe that's why this movie resonates so much with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he checked out more at the midway point, but I can see how... People would would sort of drift at those points, but I don't factor them in because I'm <laughs> I'm plugged in. I'm plugged in at both of those scenes because at the the mirror the mirror image to that scene uh, towards the end, I'm thinking, well, fuck, now what? Like, yeah. how right, how are right. we going to like where do we go from here now that we have all this stuff and. That's when it really gets weird to me. That's where it just really, I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I am totally down with whatever it is. Like, take me on this journey. And then it just ends, and I'm going, what? <laughs> Show it to me again. Yeah, and I, and I love this scene because yeah. as a, I am a, an avowed noir and neo-noir fan. I was like, oh, we're finally Doc's doing the detective stuff. Mm-hmm. He's putting on his goofball disguise. Mm-hmm. He's he's infiltrating. And uh, I don't want to go too deep, too deep into the scene until we watch it. But yeah, mm-hmm. doing just the, all the, the detective stuff that rings my bell. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, in the Chris Kyladone scene, literally just a straight hour, hour-long uh, uh, stretch later, when we're like, oh, okay, the FBI worked with the thing to do the booby house snatch mm-hmm. on Mickey mm-hmm. because he was giving away too much free land and they didn't want to do that. We got to keep, we got to keep the hippies miserable and broke and homeless, and we need a, we need some, we need a figurehead on the strip. I was like, oh God, that's right. We still, we still have an hour left to figure out where's Koi. Mm-hmm. What the hell is the Golden Fang? What is the fuck's thing? going yeah. on with Bigfoot? Yeah. Where, and, and most importantly, the question that is at the center of Doc's heart: Where's Shasta Fay? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah. Oh, boy. Boy, you and I. <laughs> you and I, you. Courtney. You I'm, and I. You I'm and me. I'm telling you. Uh, I'm not going to feel so bad now. Or actually, I'm going to feel worse now when I steal this press book uh, <laughs> when, when you look away. I think I'm going to have to give it to you. I no, really feel like no, it's going to have it. a better home with you. No, I can't take I, it. I, can't. I really feel like my heart's into giving it to you. <laughs> we'll Let's talk see after how the this show. Goes. We'll, we'll see. Let's see how this goes. I, I'm also a prickly man, and if you say one wrong thing, I will kick you out of the studio. <laughs> so we'll see how. It, we'll, we'll, let's get to the Pressure's end and see, see how bad I offend you between now and five hours from now when we actually wrap up this show. <laughs> On that note, let's you and I take a breather. Mm-hmm. Let's... Let's look at the house Wolfman. The best. And let's return and we're going to shoot the shit about it. So. Thank you. 
Shasta had mentioned a possible Laughing Academy angle to Mickey Wolfman's matrimonial drama, and Doc thought it might be interesting to see how society page superstar Mrs. Sloan Wolfman would react when somebody brought up the topic. If Mickey was currently being held against his will in some private nut house, then Doc's immediate chore would be to try and find out which one. Do you like the lighting? Mm-hmm. Jimmy Wong Howe did it for us years ago. Loose the midday refrescos now, if you wouldn't mind. Shall we sit? Now, your husband was planning to endow a new wing for our facility. He actually tendered us a sum in advance. Somehow, it didn't seem right to keep the money while so little was known of his whereabouts. So we'd like to refund you the sum. And if, and as we all pray, when Mr. Wolfman is heard from again, why then perhaps the process can resume again. We did recently endow another facility in Ojai. The Chris Kyladon Institute. Chris Kyladon. It's an ancient Indian word that means serenity. Ah, oh, of course. Are you somehow a subsidiary? Perhaps one of our sister sanatoria. Mr. Riggs Wardling. My spiritual coach. How do you do? Pleasurable. Well, if you can tell us uh, where to send the refund and what form you'd like it in. Small bills with non-consecutive serials. Riggs, enough. I was always making these terrible jokes. I'm so sorry. Perhaps if one of your company officers simply endorsed Michael's check back to one of his accounts. Of course. Let us know the account number and it's as good as in the mail. Let me find your deposit form. Wonderful. So this is Riggs a spiritual advisor. And there's Sloane, maybe not so much English Rose as English Daffodil. And this is LAPD, busy as ever, protecting and serving, getting in some last minute free catering before the feds show up. And there's Luz, the sexy Chicana housekeeper, or pretending to be. Some kidnapping. Doc would bet an ounce of seedless Hawaiian and throw in a pack of zigzags that Sloane and old Riggs here were fucking regularly, and that this was the BF Shasta had mentioned. Did Shasta have a room of her own here, or did they all just cozy up together? Hollywood does custom work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, what about that uh, girl that's gone missing? Shasta? Mm. Yeah, she's in there someplace. Yeah. You know, Mickey used to take me in the shower to fuck. Mm. Uh, and I never got to do anything on that groovy bed in there. Mm. Mm. <sighs> Another time, perhaps? Sikalenico mm -hmm. essay.
found some letters you wrote me this morning. Something had been puzzling Doc now for a while. Namely, what exactly the fuck was with Bigfoot here? As much as he'd like to stay and chat, he had a lunch date to keep with part-time squeeze deputy DA Penny Kimball. It was only because someone else had canceled that she was able to pencil him in. And Doc didn't want to fuck up her act, considering they were meeting in public. Okay, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not going to tell the people listening how many times we had to pause to talk <laughs> about that privately That's right. because we we're having so much fun and we had to gossip. What is it? How do you, yeah, you, you, said it, you said it best when we were done. How do you tune out? How do you tune, do you out, tune out of that scene? During that scene. It's so great. It hits all of the notes that you would want to see in this movie. There's intrigue. There's mystery. There's sexiness, like, from the men and women. Uh... There's silliness. Like, I feel like there's so much going on, and it's not overwhelmingly so. It doesn't, mm. it's not overbearing. It's just this delivery of what gets you, what gets the mystery going, and what keeps you tethered to the movie. And I just don't know how you check out during that scene. I think it has a lot, as, as we were saying off air, I think it has a lot to do with, and I don't want to be that guy. It's like, well, the modern audience, they've, you're right. But, I think it has a lot to do with, by this scene, we've already had a pretty steady accretion of mystery beginnings. Mm. We have Shasta Faye showing up and saying, mm. I, need, I need your help, Doc, and letting us know about the Wolfman Snatch, the potential Wolfman Snatch. Then we have, we've got Tariq Khalil showing up and saying, well, I, I'm, a whole, a whole right. neighborhood is just gone now. Mm-hmm. And that's somehow connected to this real estate magnate that Shasta was talking mm-hmm. about. Then we have this mysterious beating and murder of a character we've never heard of before mm-hmm. at that real estate development where that neighborhood disappeared. And then we've got this guy named Bigfoot who's clearly off kilter and has a strange history, is introducing his own mystery into the film while not sucking off bananas, or when not sucking off bananas, <laughs> rather. And then, on top of that, Shasta Faye disappears. And then, on top of that, and I'm, this sounds like I'm critiquing it. I'm not. We sure. all know that I love this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, this lady named Hope Harlingen shows up, totally unconnected, uh, as far as we know, to Wolfman, or Bigfoot, or Khalil, or Shasta. Well, th- she's connected to Shasta. Mm-hmm. But disconnected from all these other mysteries and introducing what is it like our fourth or fifth mystery and i think most people are used to okay i know detective movies there's going to be two mysteries there's mm-hmm. going to be they're going to be seemingly unrelated in a very chandler-esque twist it's going to turn out they were all one and the same and interconnected with this one what throws people is we get the beginnings of like four five six seven different mysteries before the plot actually starts moving forward Mm -hmm. and having a momentum that takes it forward instead of just piling up, piling up premises. Mm -hmm. And I think that there were a lot of people that just, this was, this was the last premise that came. It's it's the one, it's the one too many. They were kind of able to hang on to, okay, I know who I got. I got it. Mickey Wolfman, Mm -hmm. real estate dude. Uh, Shasta's fucking him on the side. 
Uh, his wife wants to do away with him, some kind of money scheme. And I think mm-hmm. I've heard about that once or twice, as Doc would say. Okay, that makes sense. There's a weird cop. He's maybe a bad guy. He's a heavy. doesn't like Doc. He's going to make life difficult. Okay, I got that. And okay, here's the mystery that connects to the first mystery, and that's this missing neighborhood and Tariq Khalil mm-hmm. and the dead biker. Okay, that's our movie. But then, then hope shows up, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. And then on top, of, and then I, but I think people are still kind of like, okay, 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 I, I, I okay, <laughs> like grasping so much. Three, three mysteries. <laughs> okay. And then, and then there's this, mm-hmm. and it's just wait. So, what the hell is the deal with the housekeeper? Mm-hmm. And what are the the LAPD is having a party? Mm-hmm. And but here's where we're. I feel like here's where we're in the pocket of the movie. Sure. Like, I mean, for for uh, believe me, I, I sound like I'm shitting on the film. God, sure, sure. I think I've we just, all know that I love it, but yeah. I, I, I'm doing the thing that I, right. I've seen so many people do sure. where they're just like, hey, you know, once they got to the millionaire house, man, I don't know. Yeah. It was just like, wh- what is this? And I think <laughs> I think it's the other thing about the movie is because it begins with this steady accretion of premises, premisi, whatever the plural of that might be. There, It prolongs the discovery mm. of, well, what is the movie? Mm-hmm. And I think that if there is one thing I can critique about a lot of, I think, modern filmgoers, it's that movies are so kind of genrefied and tagged mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. We know what it is going into it. We know, cl- okay, this is going to be our romance. This is going to be our very straight-ahead detective film. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie that waits a good 90 minutes before it starts to maybe reveal this is what I'm really after. This is what we're really mm-hmm, looking at mm-hmm. here. This is what we're really thinking about and hurting about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think most people are like, hey, if you're not going to give that to me in, in, in a hard 15, the first 15, I'm out. I'm mm-hmm, done. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I can't wait an hour and a half to know what a two and a half hour movie is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, and I think this is, as I said, I think it's either this or it's the Chris Dome where people are just like, okay, you yeah. know what? Fuck it. I'm done. Whatever. I tried. But again, shame. A shame. I feel like we're spending like the past 10 minutes talking about yeah. how bad this scene is. I yeah. love this scene. As the I said, I think it, it brings a totally different energy to the mm-hmm. film. There's this jittery chaos to it, whether it's Luz's ass mm-hmm. in Doc's face, <laughs> slamming down, <laughs> slamming right. down drinks, uh, or the, the bizarre tableau, a very Jimmy Wong Howe-esque tableau That's of right. deep focus cops in the background yeah. as... Uh, Sloane Wolfman just galvanizes the mm-hmm. screen as she walks into it. it to the to the ties to Bigfoot. I I love this scene. I think mm-hmm. this is a gorgeously shot for a film, as we discussed in mm-hmm. the last episode. I think it's kind of intentionally not the prettiest film, not the most widescreen film right. in the PTA canon. This I think is a very colorful gorgeous set piece mm-hmm. and i love it or sequence and i love it yeah it's very pol i feel like this is the most like this is a polished segment of the film not that the rest isn't polished but you like it because it's a little more it's very modular yes yes so i love this scene just how it looks i love everything going on in it from the costume design 
to the lighting to what the actors are doing like i mean that's just a very basic like (laughs) criticism but like it's just also beautiful i love that when sloan walks in her version of like great grieving widow where is like swimsuit with that fucking veil with the little fucking veil and it's like she's like i love that rich bitch california look um it's great like I mean, what better character introduction do you have than that? <laughs> and she's like, do you like the lighting? It's Jimmy. Jimmy, it's Jimmy, Jimmy Wong did a few years ago. And, like, I think maybe that's what started, like, because I want Roger Deakins to do the lighting in my house. <laughs> and I've talked to him before, but I've resisted being like, can you come over and do the lighting in my house? Just like I could say a cinematographer did the lighting. And I think this is where that originated. Well, that's like some Caligula-level hedonism <laughs> that you just laid out for us, saying that you're going to have deacons come to your house imagine well i need to pull it off i started laying the foundation by giving him nice questions and good good questions where he can be like wow she's really smart i should be friends with her (laughs) and And do her lighting yes and then that's how i lure them in why don't you come over for some cocktails maybe you can consult me on lighting (laughs) god that black swimsuit and that goddamn veil i love (laughs) how she is almost menacingly yes. and disdainfully sexual and polite at the same time. Yes, There's right? that, that w- anyone who's lived in L.A. a long time, mm-hmm. especially, you know you know oh. this broad. Yes. She's a broad. Yes. You know this broad. That kind of disdainfully bemused cat playing with a mouse type politeness infused with a weird, almost kind of terrifying sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like makes you a little nervous to stand close to her and mm-hmm. talk to her. And she reminds me with this that grim rictus of a smile right. and uh, that blasé, bemused attitude. And we should say really quick, just all hail uh, Serena Scott Thomas. Oh, my God. The actress who play, her portrays Sloan Wolfman. She does an amazing job with what is, what, like a four-minute, three-minute scene. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the 1975 movie Night Moves with Gene Hackman? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, boy. Well, let's throw that on the list. All right. It's we're a, doing it. It's a great 70s broken-hearted detective film would be a wonderful double feature. Okay. Not quite as funny, mm-hmm. but a wonderful double feature with with this film. It's um, if Hugh is far closer to Cutter's Way on the spectrum okay. than in okay. Hair Vice. But in that scene, there's um, there's a character. She's a, a rich mother who married a studio head, and she was, she was maybe like fifth girl from the left on like beach party bingo type movies and she hires gene hackman's character harry mosley to find her daughter played by melanie griffith Mm. earliest roles Mm -hmm. and her daughter's missing maybe even dead Mm. and she spends the whole sequence of the the great detective trope of the detective comes to the weird the weird rich decadent house to figure out what's going on and he's talking to her and she's so threateningly sexual and like <laughs> oozing that's the right word she's oozingly mm-hmm. sexual mm-hmm. and like showing him pictures this is my second husband tom iverson the bum the only thing i got out of him was the new name <laughs> <laughs> that's after i quit acting and um you know she she's sitting there talking about herself i was never that big not really uh there were a lot of me you know studio premiere studio romances not much talent but I got lucky and grabbed off one of the big guns, Irving Grassner, her first husband. And this feels very 
very Sloan Wolfman-y mm-hmm. to me. And, mm-hmm. and I, I just, I, I had to draw that line because when I see Sloan Wolfman, I see this woman, Arlene Iverson, and she had another good line in that movie. And she's like, are you the kind of detective who, once you get on a case, nothing can get you off it? Bribes, beatings, the allure of a woman. And Hackman kind of shrugs. He's like, that was in the old days, before we had a union. And it just seems, <laughs> it's a very Doc, Doc and Sloan-esque moment yeah. to me. So I just had to throw that out there. For any Knife Moves fans out there, I'm here with you. I, I see you. I see you. That said, <laughs> something that I think is quite interesting mm-hmm. about this scene is how counterposed it is to what preceded it. Mm-hmm. The scene that, cam- that comes immediately before this is Doc in the Harlingen breakfast nook mm-hmm. talking to Hope about her mystery. And in that last scene, we have a woman, Hope, who has been told her husband is in fact dead, and she refuses to believe it. And while fighting to find the truth without the help of the police, and in fact the police and even the banks seem to be working against her, she lives her life with a quiet dignity and no pun intended hope for a better future. Mm-hmm. In this scene, everything is the extreme opposite in that Absolutely. we have society page superstar Sloan mm-hmm. Wolfman in this grotesque portrait of mourning for a husband who is not confirmed dead. Right. Parading around as if he is without confirmation, surrounded by a very helpful and happy LAPD with the banks on the phone more than happy to accept any refunds on her husband's behalf. And it's a dichotomous portrait mm-hmm. of lives on either side of yes. the go- of what we are going to learn is the golden fang. Uh, the lives that the fangs chew to pieces mm-hmm. and the lives that those fangs feed. And the Sloan Wolfman is definitely in the latter camp. And I think that that's something... I have seen this movie a million times. I don't think I... If that ever would have occurred to me until I watched it at a very piece by piece by piece mm-hmm. way as I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And seeing these two scenes back to back going, oh, yeah, they're talking to each other. Right. It's the good guys and the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an absolute correct read of that whole. You get these two different portraits of these two different ladies uh, in different spots, but they're each sort of. Like, they're both connected together. And I think that's a very interesting read. I hadn't thought of that before. But now that you say it, it's, like, completely true. But, yeah, I mean, the Sloan character, she goes she goes very grotesque and overboard. Um, again, with that swimsuit and that the hairnet over her hair. Like, she is a widow in grief. When her husband isn't, there's no dead body. In the, and, in fact, she knows he's and, not dead yeah. because she was in on the snatch. Sure, sure. Um, and I love that uh, one of the things that I noticed this time is that it seems like PTA is sort of subverting the male gaze to when when her boy toy walks in, her spiritual advisor walks in. Pleasurable. Yes. Riggs Warbly. Yes. <laughs> and you, he's basically introduced just like as a torso. His head is cut off. His head is cut off. And you just see his like marigold, very tight Swim trunks that leave nothing to the imagination, and you're like, I know who this guy is. He's nothing but bicep veins, yes, and, and, and like Crisco sweat, right, and skin tight uh, swim trunks. It, and not that the actor is not good looking, but it's almost a disappointment to see him just a few seconds later when we're seeing his head. Because then he's human. It's like then he's human. Now we got to humanize this yeah. guy. Like, but uh, he's literally introduced like a headless Adonis, sure, like a sure. Greek. A Greek st- yeah. he, he even poses like a Greek statue. Yeah. Behind her, as he kind of like 
runs his index finger <laughs> along her shoulder. Mr. Reeves Wobbly. <laughs> and I love how he tries to be smart, and she's like, shut up. Like, essentially, like, just shut up. Like, don't say any more, Riggs. And, and part of that, <laughs> we're laughing at it, but part of that is what makes them so disgusting. Yes. They're, they're pigs and shit right now. Right. And, you know, they're enjoying the party while Dad's away. Not that Dad really cared about the party when he was there. Right, because he's obviously fooling around. Well, I mean, everybody knows about it. Mm-hmm. And the the level of what it's a level of hedonism that seems to be off putting even to Doc. And mm-hmm. I think that what's one of the great things about Doc is we learn in the movie is I think we just assume, oh, he's gonna be well, you know, like what's um what's Rudy Blatnoid to DDS say in his office, Ooh, look at the little hippie go. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we almost expect Doc, I think, in a weird way to just be a goofball with maybe no real direct moral compass, but actually he is quite Marlowe-esque, and he has a hard mm-hmm. set of rules. He might they they might be hazily defined, but he will not deviate from right, them. Right. And and that's something I I always love about Doc in this scene is how grossed out he is by mm-hmm. these people, and how disgusted he is by the way they live. Especially when you realize he's coming to this place having just left Hope Harlingen's house, right, and seen this woman who is doing everything she can mm-hmm. despite what the powers of the, the powers that be tell her be they be they the banks or the LAPD itself your husband's dead leave mm-hmm. it alone mm-hmm. leave us alone mm-hmm. enjoy the money leave us alone and the money doesn't mean a thing to Hope Harlingen right. she doesn't give a shit right she doesn't care she doesn't have the deposit slip she doesn't want it she doesn't need it she doesn't want this money she wants her man she wants her family she wants sort she wants a uh, amethyst's father back mm-hmm. And you, that's so contrasted here when you see these mm-hmm. people who, like I said, they're enjoying dad being gone. And what makes it even crasser and even grosser is it dad would have been cool with his party either way. Right. It's just luxuriating in the depravity of mm-hmm. it all is what is so. And I think it's what makes Sloan so terrifying mm-hmm. is these are straight up. We might not grasp it right now the first time through the movie. We're going to pretend like this is our first time through the movie. We might not <laughs> grasp it the first time through because this scene is so comic and weird. And mm-hmm. if you want to grade each scene by what drug that scene has taken beforehand, mm-hmm. this is pure uncut, unstepped upon cocaine. Mm-hmm. This is pure golden fang, <laughs> undiluted, straight off the sure. boat, literally uncut coke. Sure. It is so jittery and nervous. And I think you're so dazzled by that the first time you miss. God, these people are fucking disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're monsters. I also love how uh, you talked about a little bit earlier about how Doc is sort of this. He's he's not really the unreliable narrator, but in this scene, he you have to trust him because he's the most reliable person in that room. Like you've got the cops and they're full of shit and you've got you know rigs and you have sloan in there and you can't trust what they're saying because they're two-faced and they're crooked so you've got all of this stuff going on and so you just have to trust doc and what he's sort of discovering and uncovering um and even just doc being undercover is funny to me it's just a sort of insane sort of thing but he's getting all these clues saying like hey here's you know where's uh Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. But like, <laughs> That's a very I'll, I'll <laughs> so tell you, very you that that is a very common <laughs> happenstance on this show. Okay. That is a very common happenstance on this show. You're among friends when when it <laughs> happens. <laughs> I feel like I've broken I've broken through. Um, but when he's like trying to get information out of these horrible people, he's actually like doing his job. Like mm-hmm. this is where you're seeing him do his job. The only the only 
the only trouble with Doc is yeah. he doesn't know sometimes when he's being lied to, like when she says uh, sure. that uh, perhaps when she's talking about Sister Sanatoria and she mentions their institute, Criscylodone, mm-hmm. in Ojai. And he's like, oh, yes, And she's like, it's an ancient Indian word that means serenity. That's, that's, the, the first, that's one of the first lies that she tells mm-hmm. because we later know it means, you know, animal tooth made out of gold. Right. But Doc doesn't know that. Right. And that's what's so funny is that <laughs> this is one of those moments where that little Jiminy Cricket voice in mm-hmm. his head would, would really come in handy. And, it, and uh, that's something else is we don't know it. We don't know it the first time mm-hmm. through unless you've read the book. The, Sloane is laying cards on the table that, that really unravel everything. Mm-hmm. When she's saying that they run Criscylodone, that they have finan- a financial stake in Criscylodone, that's where Wolfman is. Right. That's where he's being reprogrammed because he made the mistake of discovering drugs and wanting to give free housing mm-hmm. to the hippies. Mm-hmm. And the Golden Fang can't allow that because – people would be less miserable mm-hmm. and they have to be miserable so that they can buy heroin and they got to buy heroin so that they can need to clean up and go to Criscylodone and they have to buy heroin to ruin their teeth so that the fang dentist so the can dentist fix can their teeth. Yep. We can't have people mm-hmm. affording housing, which in 2020 Los Angeles feels very, very prescient. Yes. But and also his, it's also like history repeating itself too. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, two decades before that when black people wanted to move into like white neighborhoods and white people didn't want that. And well, hell, there's and like, a whole scene yeah. in this film about that with, yeah. with uh, Doc and Lee. He's yeah. driving through talking about the, the long, sad cyclical. history of L.A. land use. Oh, it's terrible. Family's getting kicked out of Chavez yeah. Ravine to make room for Dodger Stadium. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to talk about something really important. Loose? I'm going to get real serious here. Loose. Yeah. Yvette Yates. The best. Um, She's so great. I love might, The audience at home can't see steam coming off the top of my head. <laughs> Right now, as we talk about the uh, sexy Shikana housekeeper, <laughs> or pretending to be, mm-hmm. but right. uh, Luce, Luce, what do you want to say about Luce? I was so confused okay. by Luce, and what they do with her in the film is a bit different in the book, and I had to remind myself, oh yeah, she, she's one of Mickey's fuck buddies. She's a mm-hmm. kept woman. They're just putting on a display for Doc that she's the housekeeper. That's mm-hmm. why, like, she sucks at serving the midday the refrescos. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why she just, like, sticks her ass directly mm-hmm. in Doc's face. As she's a flirt. Like, she's, what's that word? A flibberdigidget? Help me with that word. Uh, I'm, I'm really smart by trying out a word I've never said out loud before <laughs> in the middle of a podcast. Fl- flibber? We, we know what I'm saying. That's what she is. Okay. Um, yeah. Lose, man. Just... Her slamming around and just maintaining yeah. the general chaos, upping the general chaos of mm-hmm. the scene. I love Luz. Yes. I love Luz, too. I think she's a wonderful character. I love just her introduction of, like, when she even lets him into the and house. just slams that just big slamming black the door, door so hard and, like, and stomping off. <laughs> Mad that she's yes. the one that has to pretend to be the housekeeper. Right. She's sort of trapped in this role that she doesn't want to be in just to keep up appearances. Mm-hmm. And sort of waited out until her boyfriend gets home, and uh, you know, and who she knows? She doesn't even get a fuck in the bed. She, no, the big, the big, poor, the poor big Luz. bed. She's always Luz. she's a, she's a shower girl. She's relegated to the shower. That's right. That's right. But yeah, slamming down the drinks is great. Um, just like she just does not give a fuck. <laughs> she's gonna tease Doc mercilessly, and she gets his attention a little bit. Like he looks so over at her, like after. 
she puts her fanny in his face and is like, you know, just to put the drink right in front of him. And I don't know, Luz is great. Well, I mean, I don't think we can blame Doc if a stranger is going to put their I mean, basically sit on his head. You're yes. gonna, I, I don't know how you grew up, but if someone <laughs> does that right. to me, I'm going to take notice. And so I, I can't hold that against Doc, even though I want him to hold a torch for Shasta. Mm-hmm. I, I understand what he's going through in that yeah. moment. Yeah. Bless his heart. Aww. And Luz gives us, I think, a unique window into Doc's mind in that there's that great moment where he's try he's he's trying to fool Sloan into believing he's here with a refund from a sister sanatorium mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. which I, I just love that phrase to the Cascailodon <laughs> Institute. And so she's gotta dig in Mickey's desk to find the checking account number and all this. And it's a bit where Doc just kinda leans back and he's just looking at this, like mm-hmm. just look at this shit, the police out there. And sort of leash. Mm-hmm. Her voice kicks in. Mm-hmm. This this strange phantasmic narrator who we do, we're, we never learn, is she real? Right. Is she a real person that's in that very Didion-esque way? She's telling us about all of this after mm-hmm. the fact. Mm-hmm. And this is what Doc told her, and now she's telling us. Is this somehow Doper's ESP, and she's picking up on what Doc is sending her, and she's mm-hmm. just sitting next to a Ouija board in her front yard telling someone what she's zoning in on? Is she not real at all? Is right. she Doc's... Is she Doc's, like I said, Jiminy Cricket? Is mm-hmm. she his his intuition? She's the one, her very, well, her second scene, very first interaction with Doc when they're at Pipeline Pizza, and she, she's saying, you know, change your hair, change your life. And he's like, well, how do I do it? She says, follow your intuition. Mm-hmm. That's the, one of the first instructions she gives him. Follow your intuition. Is that all she is? Mm-hmm. And I love that this is one of those scenes that muddies those waters vis-a-vis Luz when he's looking around, like, here's, Slo- here's Sloan, and this must be Riggs Warbly, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure, or He's pretty sure they're fucking regularly. And then there's Luz, the sexy Chicana housewife. And then there's this beat where the music itself starts to warp right. like a record that's mm-hmm. not quite flat enough. And you he- and as Doc is looking at her and wondering, sorely starts to wonder, or pretending to be. Mm-hmm. And this, as the music slows down, it's as if she is Doc's memory because she might be Doc. And this is where I have to stop. This is one of those great moments in the show when Sword of Leash pops up, and I, I got to ask for you, mm-hmm. Courtney, mm-hmm. is Sword of Leash real? I don't think she's real. Mm. I've never felt like she was a real person. I've always taken her as this sort of ethereal guide in a way to how I've interpreted it as a way to get Pynchon's voice mm-hmm. and his prose into the movie so you feel like you're – like reading a book, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a way to sort of open that up. But I, I think she's great as a character because, like you said, she is sort of his uh, Jiminy Cricket, his way of figuring things out. But I've never taken her to be, even though there is an act, obviously there is an actress cast mm-hmm. as sort of liege, but like she's definitely just more of a voice that I don't think she's a real person, a real... Uh, she's a presence, but she's not a person, if mm, that makes sense. That's a really, that's a really, that's a vice like that. way of putting it. <laughs> she's a presence, but not a person. Yeah, that's how I felt. Mm. I, I don't know if other people interpret that differently, but even the scene where I think there's a scene a little bit later on where, or driving in the car, and she's sort of like in the car with him, sort of uh, 
maybe maybe there's, there's a scene where they're driving to Channel like, View Estates relaxing and, and she's on in him, the car. Right? Oh yeah, she's well she's leading back in mm-hmm. the seat and she th- there's two bits in the film. There's the scene that's already happened when he's going to Channel View and they're having that conversation about the long sad history of LA land use. Yes. And the camera is shooting from her window mm-hmm. into the car. Mm-hmm. They're talking. There's a cut to his window and all of a sudden she's not in the car. Yes. And it looks to be in relatively the same neighborhood. So it doesn't look like he just dropped her off. Correct. It's a, you know, uh, That's uh, what sort of gave it away to me. Yeah, because like previous guest Jordan Harper came mm-hmm. on and said, well, you know, it could have just been a time cut. Mm. Like the, we're doing like a uh, Truffaut-esque or Godard-esque mm. uh, jump cut. Interesting. But it, it is, it, it's definitely up to interpretation. I, as someone who is obsessed about this this film to a disturbing degree, I still have not quite made up my mind okay. because I could... I feel like I could make a very impassioned argument as to how she is real. Okay. But I also feel like I could make a really, really sharp mm. ace argument as to why she is just, she's Doc. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, conversely, I blurted it out earlier without ever having actually really considered this, that maybe this is all Doper's ESP. Doper's mm-hmm. ESP, Doc. <laughs> and that he is just wavelengthing all this shit to mm-hmm. her, and she's documenting it for him. Mm-hmm. All that said... I will say that um, there is a very, very funny film critic and writer, Brianna Ziegler, who is going to be coming on later for a sort of liege-only scene, and she's going to dive into this. And I have decided that whatever she decides, I'm going to let be the official position of the show. Because I cannot make up my mind. I can see it one of three or four or five or ten ways Mm -hmm. uh, because I have a sickness. My now, obsession with this film. Has anyone, have you gone back and dived deep into like, because I think people were doing press junkets and stuff at the time. If anybody a- have asked PTA to say. Yeah, he's what got your, a great answer what for you, this. He's what's got your answer? Yeah. He's got a very non-PTA PT, non-answer. It's, it's about on the same level as when people would ask him, did you ever talk to Pynchon? Mm. And he'd be like, um, come on, man, I can't talk about that. Or, you know, <laughs> sure. or he, he'd talk, dodging a little. Yeah, he'd talk about how, mm-hmm. hey, you know how, um, you know, he, this guy spent his whole life trying to avoid that. And I, I, it'd be wrong of me to mention anything. Sure. So, yeah, he he had something similar, similarly obscure in that I believe, and I could be wrong, but future guest Mark Olson mm. was interviewing him for the L.A. Times and specifically mentioned this weird thing that you've added that's not in the book sort of leash is in the book but she's a person in the book mm, okay. there is no question she is just a hippie chick buddy mm-hmm. who used to be doc's receptionist mm-hmm. and is now just his pal mm-hmm. and that's it and, and occasionally she gives him good advice and good weed and that's about it mm-hmm. and so someone said to to i think it, i think it was mark olson he said to pta so what's what's going on there what's that about and in that very pta Oh, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I showed this to a good buddy of mine, this movie. And I'm going to quit trying to talk about PT. I can't talk about PT. But I showed this to a good buddy of mine. And he specifically mentioned that scene where they're driving. And it, it was either the scene we just talked about or there's a second scene where they're going to Chris Kyladone. Mm. And she's like, gold, golden. Uh, Chris Kyladone means, you know, animal tooth made out of gold. And when Doc seems like he's a little embarrassed because he didn't know that, she pats him on the arm. She's like, you're doing good, Doc. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts, and she's not in the car, mm-hmm, and he just pulls mm-hmm. into Chris right. Kyle by himself. Right, right, right. One of those two scenes, he's like, yeah, I had a buddy of mine who was watching that, that scene, and when we, got out of the, when we got out of there, he said, man, that's so great that you did that. 
And he's like, why, why, why is that great that I did that? And he's like, you could never do that in a book. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. do that in a book. You have to say what happened. You or if you, however you describe it, explicates the nature of it. Mm-hmm. If you say mm-hmm. she blinked out, mm-hmm. you know, like Jiminy Cricket, mm-hmm. then we know what we know what she is. If right. you say, and then Doc dropped her off. Right. You have to in the uh, in text. You have to get her out of the car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't mention her again, we just assume she's in the car waiting. Right. Visually with film, you can show us that. She's just gone. We don't know how that happened. Doc, uh, Pete, Doc, PTA's friend complimented him for doing something that could only be in film. And PTA gave that as his answer. Okay. And just said, isn't that great? Isn't movies great? <laughs> so it left him with a total non-answer, just saying, isn't that? That's just the magic. That's, that's magic. hilarious. That's the magic of, uh, of movies. It's the magic of inherent vice is that we don't know. She's gone. That's that's all we know. She, she's not there now. I'm interpreting that as... PTA thinks the same as me. She's just a presence, <laughs> but you know. Well, we'll I see mean, what we'll see what the outcome of the other podcast. That's, that's awfully arrogant of you, but you Each are <laughs> you are going to ask Roger Deakins to do the lighting that's in your right. house. So I mean, Jesus, I will get there eventually. Yeah. Probably right when I'm ready to sell the house is when Deakins will be like, "All right, I'll come do your house." Hey, you know, if, <laughs> if you get him to hook you up. <laughs> I've got an I've got a cute little apartment in the Arts District. If you want to have him swing by, that's right. You know why the hell not, right? That's right. Thank you. We're gonna yeah. th- okay. Something else we're gonna talk yes. about. Something else we're gonna talk about after the show. We gotta get to the, the tie closet. The ties. The ties. The ties. When I asked you if you wanted to be on this show, you 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 were very excited. You were very nice, and you said you would, <laughs> but you made it clear to me you needed the ties. Yes. So Courtney, have at it. All right. So I love the tie closet scene just because I think it's just the lead in to the t- like the exact lead in where he sort of does this Scooby Dooish Looney Tunes like tiptoe to the closet. <laughs> it's just so zany and silly. Anyone it- who actually tiptoes with doing that thing with their hands like they're almost playing <laughs> yeah. a piano with every yeah. step. <laughs> uh, very so Bugs great. Bunny. Yeah. Very, uh, very much like that. Um, and then he gets into the closet and he starts looking around at all the ties with the girls on them. And Luce uh, comes in and sort of distracts him. And he winds up having some sort of st- a state of mind where he still is getting information from her. Uh, she's just all these people are willingly giving this information out. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> well, it, it's something to, to call back. And this is not me trying to be a shameless whore. Mm. But uh, my pal Blake is doing a show called All the President's Minutes. Oh, right. About All the mm-hmm. President's Men. And there's a line. There's a line from that movie that has always stuck with me. And it sticks with me now when I'm watching the news. Mm-hmm. But it sticks with me when I'm watching bad guys in movies like this when Deep Throat says, Forget the myths that the media has created about the White House. The truth is, these are not very bright guys. And things got out of hand. <laughs> That's true. That's that's yeah, the wo- that's true. that that's the house wolfman to me. Yes, yes. And yeah, um, I love I love. There's a guy in North Hollywood that does custom tie work yes, like this. I'm gonna right. have to look him up. I'm not a tie guy, but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna see if he's still in operation. You feel the creepy leering power mm-hmm. of Mickey Wolfman in his goddamn tie closet. That's right. It's like these women are possessions to him. They're literally like on ties, yeah. and he's like, I'm gonna wear this girl 
around my tie to around my neck today and she i'm gonna have her all tied up like she's like these are his women like his closet full of women one thing that's not in the book i wish it was is i maybe it says something about my psychology i mean clearly i think too much about this story in general but i really started to meditate on so what is the what is this does he wear the tie if he's like slept with that person that morning or is gonna yeah or is it like this means this is this is announcing without me saying it who I'm gonna take out today. You know, there's sure. to connect Wolfman to someone who I think is a little similar to Wolfman. You know, there's that story about when he's at Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. Trump, mm-hmm. if he comes downstairs wearing a white hat, means he's in a good mood. Mm. But literally, because yeah, Jesus Christ, <laughs> I know. If he comes downstairs wearing a red hat, that means everyone leave him alone. He's cranky. He's fussy. Uh huh. He's fussy. Sure. Insane fat fuck. Uh, so, I never <laughs> pardon th- my language. Everybody. I never I'm sorry. thought that we'd be talking about Trump getting on here. Like he came up in the last episode uh, too. Um, but w- Wolfman, di- I oh mm-hmm. God, we're gonna anyway digressing. <laughs> let's, let's that's a digression. <laughs> it's right. It's not even. It's there's nothing fun sure, about that. But one. no, I get but what I, you're saying. I do wonder, like, do the ties mean like this is this is who I'm bringing out today? Like mm-hmm. if I'm wearing my Shasta tie, Shasta, you're hopping off the bed. You're coming with me. We're gonna go to you know we're gonna mm-hmm. go to Musos and. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. But it is that creep. It, it does. God, whatever his fucking reasons are for having these ties. Maybe they're just trophies. Just trophies. I think it's the tro. I feel like it's more of a trophy mm-hmm. thing. But I think it also goes back to what you were saying earlier is that with the pool party and everybody sort of like knowing it's that everybody's, everybody's fucking around on each other and mm-hmm. it's all in plain sight and everybody be okay anyways. I think it's just I think it is the trophies. I yeah. think it really goes back to that. Well, clearly, I mean, yeah, the way he lords power over mm-hmm. women, mm-hmm. at least before whatever drug-inspired awakening that he had, that we never really see. Um, the, the way he lords power over women, even loaning them out to others in that very harrowing scene mm-hmm. with Shasta later, we're going to find out about, it, women are just another commodity to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like real estate. Exactly. To the point that, that, that there's something to be owned, to be torn down, or even rebuilt as he likes, like real estate. And indeed... His ties are like a real estate blueprint ding, ding, ding. of what he wants his women to be. That great line that Luz, uh, how Luz confirms this for us when she's like, well, my tits aren't really that big, but it's the thought that counts. He redesigns the blueprint of her as mm-hmm. he would like to see her. Exactly. The way he tears down Artesia uh, to make uh, Channel View Estates. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what he does with his women. Mm-hmm. And we find all of that in his tie closet. Yeah. That's the miracle of increment vice. This is... <laughs> These nuggets that were that were shotgunning forward. I'm for telling everyone. you, this is this is a treasure trove. This scene, <laughs> and for people to tune out, it is just so rude. Yeah, so rude. Yeah, I. It breaks my heart. It um, breaks my heart. That's why I have to have this show. Is honestly, this is not for anyone to listen to. Th- these shows are not being released. This is honestly, I just want to talk to people about the show. <laughs> that's that's the secret horror that you're gonna learn. Is, <laughs> This is these are all for me. This is just for it's me to finally just, yeah. look, mom. I got friends. They talk to me about the movie. <laughs> Here, listen See, to all these podcasts. I I need I need to talk to someone <laughs> about this movie. It's been um, in my head for six years. The quick anecdote about the ties in the closet. I had talked to very 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 briefly Mark Bridges. Tell people who that is. Uh, who is the costume designer? Academy on Award Academy nominee Award. for this film. That's right, and uh, also a. Also a nominee for Joker too it's this true. year. Um, it was at a Joker Q and A, and where uh, this podcast was actually brought up uh, by the moderator Jim, 
And uh, I had asked, I went and sort of, quote unquote, scrummed uh, Mark Bridges after and told him, oh, I'm going to be on this podcast and my scene is the tie closet scene. And he laughed and said, oh, the ties, the ties. And uh, just basically, he said it took them a long time to find the right artist to paint those girls. Jesus Christ. Um, because of the way it sort of is in the book. Uh, because he said, you know, it's a very pinch-in way of, you know, describing these ties. And PTA was so specific and wanting these, you know, how They're far more, uh, we'll make an antiquated compare. They're far more penthouse than Playboy. Yes, yes. So he said it took them a really long time to find the right artist mm -hmm. to do them. And I didn't get to ask him who has the ties now. That haunts me. I'm not going to lie. I've thought, I've, it makes me sound so creepy. I've thought about it, and I've thought about it with paint. I always usually you know ask. It's like some Paintings, you know I it, always ask. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it's just like a bunch of grips probably just took him at the end of the show, or, you know, like maybe, maybe they were yeah. given out at, like, at an after party, yeah. or worse, they were just tossed. Someone just tossed them. Maybe, but Warner Brothers does have, like, a big costume That's true. sort of area, and they keep a lot of stuff just in case they ever need to reuse it for anything, although this is very super specific. Mm. Um, but yeah, yes. I, I don't know when <laughs> Imagine. A, Pops uh, up on, like, you know. When a tie featuring <laughs> Catherine Waterston Spread Eagle, the nude, is going to come up again. You never I, know. I, I'm not sure when Warner's going to be like, you know, we, guys, we got to lend this out. Get to the vault. <laughs> We need the tie. Right. We need it. I know. So I did not get to ask him who kept the tie uh, or the Shasta tie or any of those ties. So I deeply regret not having brought that back. But I did get that little nugget for you. Bless your heart. Thank you for that. And I'm going to say one more thing about these ties. You know what I would do if I was PTA? Every goddamn Academy Awards ceremony where I know I'm not going to win, if I was PTA, I would wear one of these goddamn ties to each and every future Academy Award uh, ceremony yes. that does not honor him. Wear one of those ties yes. each and every. Of course, that would be the finally the time he gets gets the award is when he has to go up on stage and he's got a naked Yvette Yates uh, <laughs> with uh, tits far larger than they are in real life, uh, uh, dazzling people at home on his tie. But yeah, right. If I were him, that's what I would do. I'd wear those ties to the right. show. PTA, if you're listening, I'm sure you are. <laughs> Why wouldn't he be? Wear the ties the next time you get nominated. Mm -hmm. Do it. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't get nominated, just show up. They're yeah. not going to say, no, you're PTA. What are they going to do? I mean, he, show could, up in a tie. he could wear them to all those, like, like oh, press the flesh sort of, like, sure. events and there's there all are. The, and there's the smaller, like, you, what, you wear them to the Globes? Yeah. Wear them to all the, uh, the critics' events, the screenings? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Get him. Let's get him on the horn after we talk to Deacons about doing the lighting <laughs> in right. both of our homes. <laughs> now, as this, where this scene wraps up after your wonderful ties, mm -hmm. the ties that brought you here, the, the ties, ties that bind, the ties. Oh, sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. This is why she's here. <laughs> and not only the ties that bind, this ties brought me and you together. That's right. We're here tonight. There because we go. Of ties. Oh, look at us. We're look doing it again. Look, <laughs> look at, us. at us. Did you ever think we'd get here? <laughs> Look at us, those ties. It's that, and again, I, I talking about earlier this scene losing people. If there is a moment in mm. the scene where I think people are finally like, you know what? No, I'm. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> it's far I, too no. lunacy. Lunacy. No. no, I think would be as loose as like you know some other time. 
smacks her on the ass, mm-hmm. sends her on her way, and he's going. Doc is going through those ties, and then there's this that mm-hmm. Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. A song kicks in, and the we just slow fade. We get one of those amazing. Oh my god, those fades dissolves that dissolves that fueled Tumblr. I think for like a year and a half. This mm-hmm. movie didn't do much business, but I swear to God, I saw those Tumblr compilations of Inherent Vice fades for like a year and a half. Every every cinephile's uh, Tumblr page was just the gifts of those those crossfades and those dissolves. Oh my God! But uh, we get one of those gorgeous Ellswit fades uh, or dissolves rather, and then there's Bigfoot wait uh, standing outside of black and white with the patrolman uh, standing beside the the driver's side. And Doc just runs up the car and gets the shit kicked out of him, my two brothers. And you made me so happy. You made me so happy when hey. we were watching yes. this scene off air because I feel like this is one of those scenes even vice heads, even really, really? people deep in it are like, what the fuck was that? This what? is still shocking. This is shocking to me that people who even love this movie. I've talked to so many people who love this movie who even don't they, get and, this relationship. And guests, and I'm not going to. One of them was brave enough to say so on air. He's like, okay. what the hell is it? There's a uh, crime fiction author, Jed Ayers, great guy. And he was just brave enough to say, like, well, what is that? Okay. Like, what is okay. that? Fair but enough. I've had yeah. so many people off here, like, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm like, what, what don't you like about the movie? And they're like, that fucking Bigfoot scene. Hmm. Like, outside the Wolfman's. And, like, what is that? Doc somehow just knows? Is that, like, Doper's ESP? Well, how can you introduce that before explaining what Doper's ESP is? And, you know, you said it best. It's the yin. They are the yin to their yang. Like, yeah. it's just a relationship that is just so strongly tied together. It's I think it goes deeper than pro like protagonist and antagonist. Like it's even deeper than that. It's just this connection that they have where they sort of know and they're playing each other on these sort of uh different levels, these deep levels where they just know like that's how he knows he's out there. Mm-hmm. And then like you said, they he just gets the shit kicked out of him and it's like this weird brotherly relationships sort of thing where they're just you know again tied like not to pun but like there's they're tied together that's why that's why the that's why it's right after the tie sequence well it's interesting that you say that when you call them you know it's beyond protagonist and antagonist I, I definitely think that when the first time you watch this movie you're like okay one thing i can suss out of mm-hmm. all this madness Bigfoot's the heavy. Mm-hmm. He's our bad. He's our bad mm-hmm. guy. He's mm-hmm. our he's our Ralph right. Meeker. He's a bad guy in this bitch. We know who he is. All mm-hmm. right, we got sure. him. But then it turns. Well, I think sort of it morphs. Subsequent views. Sometimes it takes people like okay. several subsequent views. Mm-hmm. But you, what's interesting is he's not an antagonist. No, he is a dual protagonist in mm-hmm. that Doc is quite literally his avatar in the real world, making the move. As you're a former one heat minute alum, yes. he's out. Doc is out there making the moves on the street that yeah. Bigfoot can't right. make, and one of the reasons why he can't make them. I we were talking earlier about differences between the novel and the film is how there are things explicated in the novel that are not made clear in the film. One of those happens to be this very scene, and we're gonna get back to the weird Doper's ESP connection between these two. But if you notice, Bigfoot's not in his traditional car. 
in the mm, scene. Right. He's in a black and white. Right. And there is a patrolman that's just outside the driver's side waiting for him. There's a line in Sword of Leisure's narration in the film in which she makes, Sword of Leisure makes clear that Doc is wondering mainly what exactly the fuck was with Bigfoot here. Mm-hmm. And that goes further without it being Sword of Leisure, that goes further in the book to make clear that Doc is like, why the hell is Bigfoot being escorted by the LAPD? This is a guy who is famously partnerless after the death of Vincent Delicato, his former mm-hmm. partner. Why is he in a black and white? Why is this guy, this cop, uh, this patrolman watching every move that Bigfoot is making? And it's a, it's a tiny hint, and it's one that I think even if you haven't read the book, even a lot of eagle-eyed, obsessive fans will miss. It's the first hint that, well, after the the, the pool party that we've just watched, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's the first hint that the LAPD is in on all of this. Mm. And they are terrified about what Bigfoot is going to do. Mm. And he is under, the fact that Bigfoot wants to go to the, the Wolfman residence, mm-hmm. he is not allowed to go there alone. Mm. They have to keep an eye on him. The LAPD is as in on this snatch as the FBI are. And the FBI, we know they're going to benefit because they're, the Fang is going to reprogram Wolfman, and the Fang will benefit mm-hmm. by not having free housing mm-hmm, for hippies. Mm-hmm. The FBI is going to benefit because they're going to have another white face on the on the the Vegas Strip, like Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was Italian, um, <laughs> and so the LAPD, being an arm or a wing of the Fang. They have to keep an eye on Bigfoot. For mm-hmm. I mean, one of the reasons that this is something else we learned in the book. One of the reasons that his partner in Delicato was killed. His partner was making too many, too much noise, too mm-hmm. many complaints about this weirdness. Okay, and they are definitely not. They were not in Delicato or Bigfoot were not in on the Fang shit. Mm-hmm. And so, when they caught wind of it, and Delicato was outright killed. And we have to whip out our whiteboards now. Killed by Puck Beaverton, (laughs) hired by Adrian Prussia, (laughs) who is a hitter, hired by the the LAPD, who is instructed by the Fang to take out Vincent and Delicato for making too much noise. And so Bigfoot knows he, and it's 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 a bit of cowardice and hypocrisy, but Bigfoot knows he cannot come at this directly anymore because they'll just assassinate him. Which is why we have him as a dual or sub. Uh, protagonist having to push Doc like a chess piece all mm-hmm. over the table because he can't make these moves. The instant he starts sniffing around Wolf, uh, Wolfman too much or Puck Beaverton or Adrian Prussia, he's going to get killed. Mm-hmm. And so, right. but to go deeper than that, and I promise I'm going to shut up soon. I promise. <laughs> I promise. But to go deeper than that, the reason I think that Doc is able just to go big because they're the same guy. Mm. They're the exact same guy. Mm-hmm. Both are men longing for a decade that has passed. Bigfoot's the 50s. Doc is the 60s. Mm-hmm. Both of them are longing for someone that they love. That's right. Desperately. Well, we assume desperately sure. given how he manhandles that banana. But Doc is missing his partner, mm-hmm. Shasta. Bigfoot's missing his partner, Vincent. Mm-hmm. They are two men who have lost both their generational, generationally defining decade Right. And have lost the person that defines their life. Mm-hmm. And neither one can let go. The difference is, is that Bigfoot is curdled in a way that Doc has not. Right. But I think that they, in much the same way 
that sort of leaves blinking out. You can only do that in a movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like this bit is a little bit of that where it's just PTA saying to us cinematically, no, these guys, they're on the same wavelength. They're both just lost and hurting mm-hmm. for what they've lost. Right. And yeah, that's that's all that is. To, that, or at least that's what this scene is to me. It's just that weird dopers ESP thing where they're they're vibing like the kids say. Mm-hmm. They're vibing together in their shared pain because their shared pain is exactly yeah. the same. I think that's exactly correct. And so that's manifested by Doc just being able to go, Bigfoot. Yeah. Like he's here. Yeah. He's here with me now. Sure. And then you get that great brotherly beat down. And it, even if you don't understand it, can't you just be happy? Can't you just be happy that you get right. to see? And, and And I love that we have the excuse to do this. Uh, I'm sure some people are sick of it. Bless Josh Brolin's heart. I love Josh Brolin. I love this movie. I love. I love. I love Doc. I love Shasta. I love everything in this movie. I love Bigfoot the most. Mm-hmm. I love Josh Brolin the most. And I just. I. I love that any excuse I have to be able to work him into the conversation <laughs> and his weird twisted take on like James Con masculinity mm-hmm. and how he finds the fissures and fractures in that and mm-hmm. the the melancholy in that and the inability to express. All of this hurt that's inside of him because he's he's not supposed to. He's supposed to be right. Uh, he's Dragnet, right? You know, right. Um, he's Jack Webb. He right. can't say these things. Yes. And so instead, he's got the it, la- beat it the comes shit out. out of yeah, this little detective mm-hmm. who, at the same time, he desperately needs to help him. Yes. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is uh, being of this mindset, going back and watching this movie, and watching this friendship. This because I do think it is a. Little yes. things like I love when he calls when Bigfoot calls Doc a few scenes prior and he's going to trick Doc into thinking that Shasta is dead. Mm-hmm. I just love and we're going to go really into the woods here. <laughs> how when Doc answers the phone, all Bigfoot has to say is, hey, it's me. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what you say to your girlfriend or your mm-hmm. boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Or your significant. Other. Hey, it's me. Mm-hmm. What's up? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about? Sure. You miss me. <laughs> and, I, and I love that about. And I, I just I love how Bigfoot or how Brolin gives Bigfoot. That that both just that broken hearted, your your broken hearted older brother that's kind of a dick to you, but mm-hmm. he's now so heartbroken he's gonna kind of entertain you as your buddy mm-hmm. or as as his buddy because he's so sad and lonely. That's that's Bigfoot to me, and I mm-hmm. perfect character. I love the vibe he brings to the film. I'm saying vibe too much. Uh, we did that <laughs> in the last episode too. Lindsay Romaine, she's got that she's got that word in my head. Oh, she put it in your she, head. She, she accepted she, you. She she <laughs> through her own dopers ESP. I'm vibing. I'm vibing a lot now. I'm hip. I'm cool now. Uh huh. I'm cool now. But yeah, I, those two together, per, and, and the fact that they have a little. I was so excited. I forgot for because I. It's strange that I would be able to forget anything about this movie at this point. Right. But when I was going through, like, what am I tackling with Courtney? Like, okay. What are we going? I yeah. was so happy. To go, oh yeah, and Bigfoot shows up. I'm glad that you put that on the the call sheet, as it were. Yeah. Because I was like, I somehow want to talk about Brolin a little bit too. Like he's so wonderful in this movie, and I, I again, just like Joaquin's performance, I think that Josh Brolin just delivers all of this nuance and all of these different colors mm-hmm. that we haven't. We haven't seen since, or we've only caught glimpses of since, but I love that it's just all wrapped up in one movie for us. Mm-hmm. He's funny. He's touching. There's some really great moments in there, too. No more CLO, or no oh CLO drive for Bigfoot. No. Which is both so heartbreaking <laughs> and depressing and creepy right, all at once and right? selfish. 
but the pathos of that. Oh my God. And what we were talking about Joaquin earlier about what a fearless performance. Right. If you're Josh Brolin and you're doing pretty damn well at this point in your career, Mm -hmm. you've been in a couple of Coen Brothers films. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've been in W, which I actually think is a very underrated film. Mm. You've, you're starting to really roll into the prestige world. It's a risk yes. to your image as, again, I, you know, I, can, I, I really feel that Brolin's kind of one of our last in that James Caan line of actors mm, who is mm-hmm. masculine in a, a type of on-screen masculinity that isn't overt or trying too hard right. he's just a two-fisted dude god yeah. damn it right he's just a dude right um a hard-ass dude he'd have your back if you got into a bar fight sure he'd handle it he'd yeah. handle it <laughs> and uh to see him come at this performance and totally vivisect that kind of masculinity and that kind of again i bring this name up a lot that kind of ralph meeker all-american mm-hmm. he eats his steaks so rare they're still bleeding and mooing mm-hmm that kind of masculinity to take it down to where he does and really get into right the the broken smog choked engine that motors that it's it's a, it's a fearless fearless performance right. as fearless as Joaquin's if not more because I feel yeah. like Brolin probably had more, more to lose as mm-hmm. a as a leading exactly. man we expect Joaquin to be weird we expect him to be a little of funky course. and junky right monkey um, Brolin we expect to be Brolin we expect him to be cool we expect him to be kind of taciturn. Mm-hmm. And, and hard-edged, and, you know, I, I don't know about anyone else. I, I think of Brolin, before this movie, I I think of No Country for Old Men. Mm. Few words, mm-hmm. you know. Laconic a little bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bitterly bemused. Yeah. And and, and a hard-ass. Jimmy Kahn. Sure, Jimmy yes, Kahn. that's perfect. And to see him be, like I said, basically a heartbroken, mopey, self-obsessed, pouting Ralph Meeker. Mm-hmm. It's a revelation, right? And I and I, I do believe, as I know we've said, Hong Chao is amazing, and she is. Mm-hmm. And I know that we've said Joaquin Phoenix is amazing, and he is. Mm-hmm. And we got to say we haven't been able to talk about her a lot because she's only really been in one scene thus far. Catherine Waterston gives, oh, incredible! It is not a femme fatale. You can't nope. you can't be reductive and call it that. Mm-hmm. I compared it into in uh, episode two with uh with kim morgan uh i said that it's um it's a far it's a far more nuanced performance and it's a far sadder performance Mm -hmm. than you would expect and the level of oh god just the level of sadness and depression and this is a woman who's been through some shit and I compared her to Linda Darnell in mm-hmm. Fallen Angel. If you've okay. ever seen Fallen Angel, mm-hmm. the Primager movie. Mm-hmm. Like Darnell, with limited screen time, Waterston just gives us this. We know Shasta. We we can mm-hmm. we know that she was the prettiest girl in mm-hmm. the high school that came to Hollywood to be the actress. And you know some shit went down that right. wasn't cool. And now she's this kind of sad, wrong side of 30. And just f- gri- flailing and grasping at life, mm-hmm. and I know I'm going down a cul-de-sac because because I'm talking about all these characters. <laughs> I just I had to shout out. I, I I'm I I would be remiss not to. And one of the only things about this show that bothers me is how little I've been able to talk about her yet. Okay. But yes, very You'll wonderful. You'll get to some scenes. Though. I know. You'll get to a b- major like a, scene. Christ, like two years from now, 
That's true. And I'm the, looking the spanking scene. You'll get to that. Yes. And there's a lot going on in that scene. There is. That's the one scene I can't quite get like figure out in or my you're head. To, you're gonna have to tune into the show. I know I am. I will. Tune in. I say tune in like that's <laughs> like, so old. Sure. But you know, no, uh, yeah, oof, I'm right there with you. I'm a little nervous about tackling that one. Yeah. Um, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. And I am going to be in very secure hands with the particular guest that's okay, going to handle that one. Good. Um, fans of, of noir and studies of the deeper depths of what we call femme fatales, I think we'll be very excited by the guest on that episode. That said... My point being, yes. she gives us a very great performance. Mm-hmm. As you all the people, no one is better better than Brolin in this movie to me. Mm. No one is better than Brolin. Yeah. I don't think anyone risks their career as much as Brolin does in this mm. movie. I don't think anyone pushes themselves quite outside their yeah. What is expected of them than Brolin in this film? He's mm-hmm. he's a marvel to watch, and I know that, that that there's so much more in this scene about ties and about Sloane and about Luz. I gotta say, Brolin, Bigfoot best right i'm so glad again i'm so glad that he a little part of him got into the scene and t- got tagged into this sequence because he is it is a go for broke performance mm-hmm. and like you said it is a very risky thing that he does you know we're used to like benicio del toro is great in this movie too but he's not you've seen him do sort of similar stuff before where it's a little bit wacky it's a little bit like I mean, he's literally played a stoned yeah. lawyer to a stoned hero right. in another film. Right. So, like, there's stuff that you've seen from other actors there, but Brolin just really, I think he really dug down, like, incredibly deep to give mm-hmm. this layered, very nuanced, very pathos driven performance. And, I mean, I just, I think he's great. I think he's sort of, I don't think he. Because as actors, even when you're in an ensemble, you don't want to eclipse like your fellow actors in a scene. I think he 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 brilliantly modulates. But I think that even within his scenes, Joaquin sort of lets him take. He's reactive, like what we said earlier. He's, reactive, he's so, so yeah. reactive. I mean, I don't know how you can go toe to toe with that with that banana. You can't with that banana. You gotta just <laughs> with that. You just gotta lean back and you gotta watch. As creepy uh-huh. as that sounds, sure. You gotta hang back and let Brolin just sure just go at it. 44 bananas, according to Brolin, that day. Jesus. 44, which can be possible. I, that would kill a horse. Yeah. But uh, um, as, as, as increment vice guest Mariah Gates tells us, though, that'll really keep you regular, that many bananas. That, that's Health true. tip for those at home. <laughs> if you're stopped up, 44 bananas <laughs> and a car ride up to Chatsworth, mm-hmm. go for it. That said, I have to say, this has been an absolute, and we've been pretty. We've been pretty foul mouthed in this episode. I think so it's it's okay if I'm I gonna swore, s- right? Oh yeah. I mean okay. Jesus, who I just gotta say this has been a fucking delight. Oh, I'm Courtney. so glad. A fucking delight. I hope I'm, I didn't give my cards away too much that I'm kind of a dumbass sometimes about ca- things, but No, I mean I <laughs> as I did say you did kind of let it slip, this kind of Caligula level hedonism. <laughs> you know, uh times are tight for some people and you're over here trying to get deacons to do your lights. I don't know. I'm trying. Trying. I'm out here trying. But yeah. Uh, but uh, since I can't get uh, James Wong, how? Well. I mean, he's yeah, I he's mean, passed, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Deacons is definitely the moderate choice now to make. Yeah. Um, go I, with Deacons. I think so. Or hey, you know, Ellswood. That's true. Why not? What do you got to lose? He's photographed L.A. in completely different ways so many times before, so why not just come over to my house, Ellswood, and just light it the way you want to? 
And I know, I know, I know we're stepping out the door. It's the end of the episode. But I got to say, Ellswood 2014, I think he did Nightcrawler and this yeah. film, same year, one yeah. digital, right. one film. But both such amazing expressionistic portraits oh of God. what L.A. is. Yes. One, at, one during the day, one at night. Although mm-hmm. one of my absolute favorite Ellswood shots of all time is at night in this film after, mm. after Bigfoot. We'll get into it when we get to that episode. But the mm-hmm. scene where Bigfoot... And Doc are driving after Prush is killed, and Doc's kind of hanging on to the mm-hmm. oh my god bar at the top of uh, Bigfoot's car. <laughs> that just looks like LA night mm-hmm. so perfectly. That mm-hmm. strange, uh, that orange street lit, mm-hmm. weird haze that LA has at night where everything's just kind of ugly and yeah. orange. Everything looks like it's, it's like, I said Chatsworth earlier. Everything looks like it's in Chatsworth. It's yeah. kind of just that, that <laughs> Poor 70. Chatsworth. Poor Chatsworth. Well, no, you <laughs> know. What if there's somebody listening from Chatsworth and we're bad mouthing they're down? Well, they know what I'm talking but about. But no. Yeah, they, they do. There's that, they're like, there's, yeah, we get it. There's that, it's a very <laughs> 70s, everything is orange, kind of mm-hmm. like, ah, vibe. Yeah. And vibe, again. And I, yeah, so captures what it is. Uh, he's, uh, he's, in the making of this film, PTA said, oh my God, we were trying to end the episode five minutes, and here we are talking. <laughs> five minutes ago, trying to end this episode. I just want to say, uh, you know, PTA says that one of the things he's always striven to do is shoot L.A. the way Robbie Mueller would shoot L.A. Mm. And I don't know that anyone can get close to that, but I do think Ellswood brings his own incredible beauty to bear in this mm-hmm. film and gives us an amazing James Wong Howe impression at the top of this scene in mm-hmm. the intro when we see uh, – Sloan come up mm-hmm. with that deep focus cop uh, mm-hmm. pool party background where supposedly, supposedly rumor has it one of those cops is uh, Thomas Pinchon. But I, I don't really. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's the rumor. It's the Whoa. rumor. There's there's wow. There's the guy that looks like young Pinchon. That's an okay. actor in the Topanga Canyon house walking around behind Coy and Doc when they're talking at the table. OK, that's not Pinchon. But a lot of interesting. Brolin has said that Pinchon was on the set. And this is a Brolin scene where Brolin was in attendance, and he said that no one knew Pynchon was there. He said he was in the background, but uh, wow. PTA pointed him out to, to Brolin. And there is a rumor that he is one of the cops uh, eating barbecue by the pool. Interesting. Now i got to go back and watch right. it. we got to go you back know, and watch you know, it. we got to watch, watch it. Yeah. There's an excuse to end the episode now, because me and you are going to go back and watch it. I'd this. also like to point out the fact that my Inherent Vice program mm-hmm. keeps getting moved closer and I see closer it. to I see you. you doing it. You, so you don't I'm, do this. You, I, this is yours. You got to keep it. I, I feel like it's got to go to somebody who also really appreciates it and was kind enough to have oh, me Jesus on Christ. their show and talk about this movie. Is this as, you trying to get out of Deacons doing the lighting in my apartment? <laughs> well, I can't get you Deacons, but I will get you. Oh, that's I will, so kind of you. I so think you need you. this because I really feel like You'll treat it even better than I can. I feel like it's just going to be in a box in my house, even, and I can trot it out. But I feel like you will treat it with respect. Oh, that's so sweet of you. I, Thank I, you, Courtney. It's and hey, really everyone, everyone listening has heard you do this, so you can't no take back. I know. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. But I, I know if I Look ever need it. Look how quickly I met your kindness with suspicion. <laughs> I know if I ever do need to reference it for anything. I can call you and just, just be come like, come on the show again. Yeah, come on the show again. Like, you can you bring that again? Sure. So and, and then you can that show. needs to go to you. And when I bring it to you, you will come gliding out of your backyard. <laughs> That's right. With this amazing. <laughs> do you like the lighting? That's right. Roger Deakins Roger did Deakins it. Roger Deakins did it. 
Wonderful. <laughs> Courtney, before we sign off, tell people where they can find your stuff. You can find me on uh, Variety occasionally and FreshFiction.tv. Great. And uh, Twitter, at Bell. You can follow me there. Get on that, everybody. Courtney, again, like I tried to do 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Sorry. When was, an hour ago, whatever it was when I was trying to sign off. This has been a fucking delight. Oh. And I don't say that just because this program has moved so much closer to me. <laughs> this has been an absolute delight. I really enjoyed talking about this scene with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Again, thank you for having me. This is just, this is a pleasure. This is something I've wanted to do since seeing the movie. Oh. And since been been like, I've got to find the people who like this movie. Because I know it's going to be, I knew it was going to be something. We're here. And look at us. Look at us. Hey. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. We're here. Again, look at us. Look here at we us. Are. Look at We're us. here. Those people are here. We're on Increment Vice. Yeah. That's great. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks, Thanks, everyone, for listening today. And I will see you all next time where myself and a very special guest are going to check the logbook to see how many joints we've had that day. <laughs> well, if ever there was a guest whose energy matched their scene, it sure was Courtney. And coming armed with a special gift didn't hurt either. You listening, future guests? Either way, it sure was nice to have someone like her to have our backs as we stared down the wide-open maw of the Golden Fang for the first time. Will we be so lucky next time when facing down an altogether different kind of ferocity in the form of Deputy D.A. Penny Kimball? We'll see what we can see next time on Increment Vice.